Hi folks, this is Alan Watt at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and today it is Wednesday the 13th of December 2006. mentioned before, the system we live in is full of legalities. Terrible legal people at the top run the system, and they have their own sets of rules, but they follow what they call law. That's why when they write up constitutions for countries, they always say under law. They don't define to the public what they mean by that, but they're talking about a higher set of rules, a law that goes with a religion in fact, a religion which they believe in. Once in a while, they'll publish something in a newspaper of extreme importance. Generally, it's published in a few papers across the world at the same time with different authors or professors or reporters. And you'll never see it again. It's, it's, it's just like a flash in the pan, but it's a form of warning and it's always written by someone, at least documented by someone and written by someone who's in the know because of the type of information they impart. We've been geared towards massive changes all our lives. We've been trained towards these changes, conditioned towards them step by step. And they knew, at least in the 1800s, that science would be where it's at today, at least for the public. I'm sure they have much higher levels of science. I know they have. But they knew exactly where they would take us, step by step. And that's one of the reasons why people, and I used to ask it myself a long time ago, why don't they just simply jump a bunch of steps? Because they have the public so placid and domesticated they could jump a few steps, but they can't really. And I think it's from previous experience and, and more older times, more ancient times. It's almost like a computer program because if they miss a step, it throws everything else off. There are always unforeseen circumstances when you don't follow a mathematical sequence right through.
hence the need to train us generation by generation. And within each generation, there's an ongoing training. Uh, many, back in the 40s and 50s, um, there was a bishop at, 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 in London, they call him the Red Bishop, who published books on continuing education for adults. Yet when you read his book, he didn't talk about history or mathematics or anything like that. What he's referring to, and it was a tongue-in-cheek uh, terminology used for those in the know, those with the wink, because they're talking about training the public all through their lives towards changes so that the offspring would accept those changes quite naturally and never question them. That was also part of the communist agenda, this ongoing training where even the youngsters could kill off the older members of society, even the ones who had started revolutions because they were not as so advanced and radical as the each generation could be trained to be. It's a science we're talking about here. And tonight, here's one of these articles which appeared in the Toronto Star on December the 10th, 2006. Written by someone who, if he wasn't in the know, then at least he was given information by people who attended world conferences like the one at Loyola University, which discussed this very topic coming up. The author in the, in the, the Toronto Star was Kevin Haggerty, the reporter. They said special to the star, so that's a special presentation. And here's how it goes. By the time my four-year-old son is swathed in the soft flesh of old age, he will likely find it unremarkable that he and almost everyone he knows will be permanently implanted with a microchip, automatically tracking his location in real time it will connect him with databases monitoring and recording his smallest behavioral traits. This goes along, this is me again, of course, this goes along with what the American Psychological Association has been pushing for for years with the American Psychiatric Association and the World Psychiatric Association, how they can, they can actually predict behavior changes in people by constant monitoring. This is the ultimate method of monitoring before they create a new type of human, which they won't have to um, be so scrutinous about, really. It'll be, it'll be purpose-made. So continuing, most people anticipate such a prospect with a sense of horrifying disbelief, dismissing it as a science fiction fantasy. The technology, however, already exists. For years, humane societies have implanted all the pets that leave their premises with a small identifying microchip. As well, millions of consumer goods are now traced with tiny radio frequency identification chips that allow satellites to reveal their exact location. A, sele a select group of people are already chipped with devices that automatically open doors, turn on lights, and perform other low-level miracles. Prominent among such individuals is researcher Kevin Warwick of Reading University in England. 
Warwick is a leading proponent of the almost limitless potential uses for such chips. Now, Warwick is a frontman. He's a professor at a university there, but he's a frontman for this technology. He's been on the, all the major shows trying to make it very appealing. And there'll be other ones throughout the world for other countries to, to continue. Other users include the patrons of the Baja Beach Club in Barcelona, many of whom have paid about $150 US for the privilege of being implanted with an identifying chip that allows them to bypass lengthy club queues and purchase drinks by being scanned. These individuals are the advance guard of an effort to expand the technology as widely as possible. Now, this is me again, of course, butting in here. There's been programs on this on major, again, world shows to, to let us all know about it, to condition us towards it, to the, the, the inevitability of it. And it was interesting to see that the person who was a spokesman for this company, this for the, these clubs who want the chips put in their patrons, just happens to be uh, an ex-member, he says, an ex-member of the NSA the National Security, Security Agency, the, the worldwide national security, an international security agency. They monitor everything. And that's for the, that's for the ones that are pushing this. It's not just in Barcelona. I think the company's based in California. To continue, from this point forward, microchips will become progressively smaller, less evasive, invasive and easier to deploy, thus any realistic barrier to the wholesale chipping of Western citizens is not technological but cultural. It relies upon the visceral reaction against the prospect of being personally marked as one component in a massive human inventory. Today we might strongly hold such beliefs, but sensibilities can and probably will change. How this remarkable attitudinal transformation is likely to occur is clear to anyone who has paid attention to privacy issues over the past quarter century. There will be no 3 a.m. knock on the door by stormtroopers coming to force implants into our bodies. The process will be more subtle and cumulative, couched in the unassailable language of progress and social betterment, and mimicking many of the processes that have contributed to the expansion of closed-circuit television cameras and the corporate market in personal data. A series of tried and tested strategies will be marshaled to familiarize citizens with the technology. These will be coupled with efforts to pressure tainted social groups and entice the remainder of the population into being chipped. This then is how the next generation will come to be microchipped. It starts in distant countries. Having tested technology on guinea pigs, both human and animal, your first widespread use of human implanting will occur in nations at the periphery of the Western world. Such developments are important in their own right, but their intentional significance pertains to how they familiarize a global audience with the technology and habituate them to the idea that chipping represents a potential future. An increasing array of hypothetical chipping scenarios will also be depicted in entertainment media, furthering 
furthering the familiarization process. That's already happening. In the West, chips will first be implanted in members of stigmatized groups. Pedophiles are the leading candidates for this distinction, although it could start with terrorists, drug dealers, or whatever happens to be that year's most vilified criminals. Short-lived promises will be made that the technology will only be used on the worst of the worst. In fact, the wholesale chipping of incarcerated individuals will quickly ensue, encompassing people on probation and on parole. Even accused individuals will be tagged, a measure justified on the grounds that it would stop them from fleeing justice. Many prisoners will welcome this development since only chipped inmates will be eligible for parole, weekend release or community sentences. From the prison system will emerge an evocative vocabulary distinguishing chippers from non-chippers. Although the chips will be justified as a way to reduce fraud and other crimes, criminals will almost immediately develop techniques to simulate other people's chip codes and manipulate their data. The comparatively small size of the incarcerated population, however, means that prisons would simply be a brief stopover on a longer voyage. Commercial success is contingent on making serious inroads into tagging the larger population of law-abiding citizens. Other stigmatized groups will therefore be targeted. This will undoubtedly entail monitoring welfare recipients, a move justified to reduce fraud, enhance efficiency, and ensure that the poor do not receive undeserved benefits. Once e-commerce is sufficiently advanced, welfare recipients will receive their benefits as electronic vouchers stored on their microchips, a policy that will be tinged with a sense of righteousness as it will help ensure that clients can only purchase government-approved goods from select merchants, reducing the always disconcerting prospect that poor people might use their limited funds to purchase alcohol, alcohol and ooh, tobacco. Civil, civil libertarians will try to foster debate on these developments. Their attempts to prohibit chip-chipping will be handicapped by an inherent difficulty in animating public sympathy for criminals and welfare recipients, groups that many citizens are only too happy to see subjected to tighter regulation. Indeed, the lesser public concern for such groups is an inherent part of the unarticulated rationale for why coerced chipping will be disproportionately directed at the stigmatized. The official privacy arm of the government will now take up the issue. Mandated to determine the legality of such initiatives, privacy commissioners and senate committees will produce a forest of reports presented at an archipelago, archipelago of international conferences. Hampered by lengthy research and publication timelines, their findings will be delivered along the widespread adoption of chipping. After the widespread adoption of chipping is effectively a fait accompli. The research conclusions on the effectiveness of such technologies will be mixed and open to interpretation. Officials will vociferously reassure the chipping industry that they do not oppose chipping itself, which has fast become a growing commercial sector. Instead, they are simply seeking to ensure that the technology is used fairly and that the data on the chips is not misused. New policies will be drafted.
What might Hitler, Mao, or Milosevic have accomplished if their citizens were shift-coded and remotely monitored? Now, this, this is the star. The Toronto star generally takes the place of left-wing. That's their job, is to pretend they're left-wing. And the sun used to always be right-wing. So you the stars and the sun. They didn't have one called the moon, but I'm sure it's there somewhere. And so to this list we could add uh, Stalin and Lenin as well, who had millions killed, and every other uh, big hero of left-wing and right-wing sides, right back down to the, the French Revolution and maybe even the English Revolution and all the revolutions down through history. Employers will start to expect implants as a condition of getting a job. The U.S. military will lead the way, requiring chips for all soldiers as a means to enhance battlefield command and control, and to identify human remains. From cooks to commandos, every one of the more than one million U.S. military personnel will see microchips replace their dog tags. That's interesting, dog tags. The dogs of war, you see, this is the, the old Orion philosophy. Um, the, the dog star follows uh, Orion, the hunter, and the, the dog star, Sirius, is the eye of the dog. And the dogs of war, that's the soldier's job. So they're, they're turning from dogs to guinea pigs. So they're going from dogs to pigs. I don't know if that's evolution or, or devolution. I'm not quite certain. Continuing on, following quickly behind will be the massive security sector. Security guards, police officers, and correctional workers will all be expected to have a chip. Individuals with sensitive jobs will find themselves in the same position. The first signs of this stage are already apparent. In 2004, a Mexican Attorney General's office started implanting employees to restrict access to secure areas. The category of sensitive occupation will be expansive to the point that anyone with a job that requires keys, a password, security clearance, or identification badge will have those replaced by a chip. Judges hearing cases on the constitutionality of these measures will conclude that chipping policies are within legal limits. The thin veneer of voluntariness, quoting many of these programs will allow the judiciary to maintain that individuals are not being coerced into using the technology. In situations where the chips are clearly forced on people, the judgments will be deemed them to be undeniably deniable infringements of the right to privacy. However, they will be then invoke the nebulous and historically shifting standard of reasonableness to pr pr pronounce coerced chipping a reasonable infringement on privacy rights in a context of demands for governmental efficiency and the pressing need to enhance security in light of the still ongoing wars on terror, drugs and crime. Does that sound familiar? At this juncture, unfortunately, common tragedy of modern life will occur. A small life, likely a photogenic toddler, will be murdered or horrifically abused will happen in one of the media capitals of the Western world, thereby ensuring non-stop breathless coverage. Chip manufacturers will recognize this as the opportunity they have been anticipating for years, with their technology now largely bug-free, familiar to citizens, 
and comparatively inexpensive, manufacturers will partner with the police to launch a high-profile campaign encouraging patients or parents to implant their children to ensure your own peace of mind. Special deals will be offered. Implants will be free, providing the family registers for monitoring services. Loving but unnerved parents will be reassured by the ability to integrate tagging with other functions on their PDA so they can see their child at any time from any place. Paralleling these developments will be initiatives that employ the logic of convenience to entice the increasingly small group of holdouts to embrace the now common practice of being tagged. At first, such convenience tagging will be reserved for the highest echelons of Western society, allowing the elite to move unencumbered through the physical and informational corridors of power. Such practices will spread more widely as the benefits of being chipped become more prosaic. Chipped individuals will, for example, move more rapidly through customs. Indeed, it will ultimately become a condition of using mass transit systems that officials be allowed to monitor your chip. Companies will offer discounts to individuals who pay by using funds stored on their embedded chip on the small print condition that the merchant ca uh, can access large swaths of their personal data. These discounts are effectively punitive pricing schemes charging unchipped individuals more as a way to encourage them to submit to monitoring. Corporations will seek out the personal data in hopes of producing ever more fine-grained customer profiles for marketing purposes and to sell to other institutions. By this point, all major organizations will be looking for opportunities to capitalize on the possibilities inherent in an almost universally chipped population. The uses of chips proliferate as do the types of discounts. Each new generation of household technology becomes configured to operate by interacting with a person's chip. Finding a computer or appliance that will run through old-fashioned hands-on interactions becomes progressively more difficult and costly. Patients in hospitals and community care will be routinely chipped, allowing medical staff or, more accurately, remote computers to monitor their biological systems in real time. Eager to reduce the health costs associated with a largely docile citizenry, authorities will provide tax incentives to individuals who exercise regularly. Personal chips will be remotely monitored to ensure that their heart rate is consistent with an exercise regime. But now the actual process of chipping for many individuals will simply involve activating certain functions of their existing chip. Any prospect of removing the chip will become increasingly untenable, as having a chip will be a precondition for engaging in the main dynamics of modern life, such as shopping, voting, and driving. The remaining holdouts will grow increasingly weary of Luddite jokes and subtle accusations that they have something to hide. Exasperated at repeatedly watching neighbours bypass them in chip lines while they remain subject to the delays, inconveniences and costs reserved for the unship, they too will choose the path of least resistance and get an implant. In one generation, then, the cultural distaste many might see as innate reaction to the prospect of having our bodies marked like those of an inmate in a concentration camp will likely fade. 
in the coming years, some of the most powerful institutional actors in society will start to align themselves to entice, coerce, and occasionally compel the next generation to get an implant. Well, that you know who those people will be. I hope, right, you will. <clears throat> now, therefore, is the time to con contemplate the unprecedented dangers of this scenario. This is the time now. The most serious of these concerns, it's funny how that's even a Masonic saying, because now is the time, was often a statement made to people who were about to start rebellions in Freemasonic times gone by. Now, therefore, is the time to contemplate the unprecedented dangers of this scenario. The most serious of these concern how even comparatively stable modern societies will, in times of fear, <laughs> embrace treacherous promises. How would the prejudices of a Joe McCarthy, a Jai Edgar Hoover, or of a southern clansman, all of whom were deeply integrated into the American political establishment, have manifest themselves in such a world. What might Hitler Milosevic have accomplished if their citizens were chipped, coded, and remotely monitored, plus Stalin and all the rest of them? Choirs of testimonials will soon start to sing the virtues of implants. Cam reassurance will be forthcoming about democratic traditions, the rule of law, and privacy rights. History, unfortunately, shows that things can go disastrously wrong and that this happens with disconcerting regularity. Little in the way of international agreements, legality, or democratic sensibilities have proved capable of thwarting single-minded ruthlessness. Well, that's true, because we never had democracy. And that's the key to that, really. It can't happen here has become the whispered swan song of the disappeared. Best to contemplate these dystopian potentials before we prefer the tender forearms of our sons and daughters, while we cannot anticipate all of the positive advantages that might be derived from this technology, the negative prospects are almost too terrifying to contemplate. So that is the end of the special insertion in the Toronto Star, December the 10th, 2006. Please excuse any mistakes I made in the reading because my, my cheeks are still frozen from working outside. <laughs> the mouth is uh, rather stiff and I tend to think and, and read much faster than I, I speak. But I think I got most of it in there. This is the future we're all being trained bit by bit into arriving at if we allow it to happen. And the problem is technology to the public and the way it's presented and marketed is addictive. It's very addictive. You think back to the televisions which were given out to brainwash the public in the first place. But when you think back to, to them and you have to get up and switch channels and that was effort, which was nothing at all at the time. It was normal. And then they came out with the remote handheld converters. And suddenly it was a big deal if you had to actually get up and do something because the converter's battery was flat or was bust. So we become terribly 
addicted very quickly for convenience's sake. And that's what's relied upon in this training session we call our life. We're giving away all the rights, and we already have done actually, we're giving up pretty well all the rights we had of independence in the past. In the old days, they simply sent armies in and took it off you, your land, whatever you sat on, and herded the natives into reservations. Now it's all the people in North America who are getting ready to be herded into reservations. They're called habitat areas. Same thing. So the land you sit on is not yours anyway. You rent it, regardless of what you pay to banks for mortgages, the gauge till death, the mort gauge. Many years ago on the science fiction programs, and that's really where all this phase of predictive programming came from. It was through science fiction books, novels, television series and movies that we were all programmed to the next step, to the next, to the next, without thinking, why are we going in this particular direction? Why not go off in some other direction? Lenin himself said that there's, there's thousands of, of directions society can take. It's just that the public mustn't be allowed to know that. They must think the one they, they, they're born into is the only natural, natural one that could have evolved. And you think back to all the science fiction books, Isaac Asimov, the double A, was uh, put out there through futurist think tanks. They call them futurist societies. That's where all the budding, aspiring wannabes in the fiction world, science fiction world, will and they attend talks. And then the big boys are there to finance them. Because you see, all the major books are financed into being by those who want them to be known to the public. So they pick certain people, give them the data, just like H.G. Wells, and they write the story around it, a human story that's the bait to hook us in, because we love to watch people doing odd little things and having intrigues, and, and that's the bait of all dramas. And once we've swallowed the bait, we forget all the extraneous stuff that's really built, or, or it's all around it, and that's your programming then the actual event will come along and you think, well, I guess it had to be, that's normal. But it's not. Without the programming, you would never have seen it as, as such. Constant ongoing programming. And Asimov, of course, was the guy chosen primarily. His, his speciality was to, be, to do with robots and cyborgs. The, the, the term cyborg. Which also came up in the Star Trek series with the Borg, the original bee, the perfect bee. Their ship, spaceship, was called the Hive. That's what they called it. And their job was to assimilate everybody and every other creature with, with a higher life form into their system and to become a, another type of bee, another worker, all com connected together through electronics, which might turn a lot of the New Agers on. They might think it's a, a better form of telepathy, more precise. The only problem is you won't be in charge of your thoughts or your decisions. 
you'd be hooked to a centralized computer like the Borg. The Queen. And isn't it interesting, too, that on Universal Soldier, I think it was called, where Van Damme played the, the soldier, they had implants. I think they had specific eye implants. Even the bionic man, the, not, the, not the three, four, or five, but the six, remember, the six million dollar man had uh, bionic eyes. At least one of them was bionic. Then we saw that in the Borg as well, where one will be infrared to make you more efficient at night, a good worker. And they also had these little things sticking out past their face. Well, here they go. As I say, people are addicted to technology. Uh, on dramas, suddenly you have these little earbud pieces with the mouthpiece stuck alongside the cheek. Very cool. You see no wires. And that's your new cell phone. And sure enough, they're showing you this in all the dramas. And you walk along the streets. Now you see people with them, just like the Borg. They're, they're partway there already. And for such people, it will be more convenient not to have this little thing stuck in front of your face. I've heard people who say, well, it's a natural progression. It'd be fantastic to, to have all these abilities. But it never dawns on them that the world has always been under control of a few. And they will never give you anything that's there to give you extra power over them. On the contrary, this technology is used to control you 100% of the time in every sphere and area. Because predictability of every individual will bring on their peace, their world peace, their utopia where those up in charge, those with virtue, the virtuous ones at the top, the small clique of nobility, as they call themselves, no, they have virtue. We're, too, we're, we're commoners, so we can't have virtue, according to the old noble code. So they'll be able to run the whole world without worrying about what you're doing, what you're up to, uh, how did they keep us happy with bread and circuses, sports, entertainment, that type of thing. And they will have a peaceful world when none of us can think anymore for ourselves. Alistair Crowley, who gets a lot of bad flack for a lot of the stuff that he did, which was true enough. However, he also said a lot of truth. This is the guy who was the B666 as he played with the public's minds and, of course, Christian's draw back in horror when they hear that 666 and yet it's in their holy books they don't understand their holy books they don't understand what they worship in fact but Crowley said the same thing in his day about police forces they start off with town police maybe one or two if you get a, a, a bigger town or a small city, then you end up with a committee. Committees are bureaucrats who, who have to plan things and make decisions because what else can they do except make decisions and put it, on, put it in writing and have it enforced? And they grow and keep growing and growing and growing. And since the whole job of, of policing 
is to prevent, they call it preventing crime, then they have to know what everyone's doing. The police, by their very existence, as, uh, by the way they're set up, by their definitions of why they are there in the first place, what, what they exist for, can only arrive at a stage where they push and push for total, total control. That's their nature. I used to think that if committees got together, or governments too, and met, as long as they met, you know, and, and, and chatted away there, it'd be fine if, if they, we could always read in the papers that no decisions were made on anything. That way you could breathe more easily. Because like an old statement said, or statesman said in the U.S. long ago, when the government meets and sits and talks, hold on to your wallet. And now it's more than just the wallet. You better hold on to everything because they're going to take something from you. It's the nature of the beast. The Soviet system and much of, of what was implemented in the Soviet system had come from previous experimentation and, and previous revolutions. And the doctrines were espoused by Voltaire and other people, writers at the time, who I'm sure were really financed by the big boys again. Because when you look into their personal lives, none of these writers uh, had any virtue at all, really, according to their personal lifestyles, but they could say such amazing things in their books that we'd all say, my goodness, what a perfected person that is. Voltaire himself, who wrote a lot on the rights of, not, not like Thomas Paine, but Voltaire wrote on the, on the rights of man and, and justice and freedom, while well, he himself had swindled many people in his lifetime out of various things, money lending and, and different things, and frauds. And I could go on and on and on about him and others, but that's what you're given, you see, to get the mob stirred up, to fight for what they think is their freedom. But what they did do, was, to, was in, in the, especially the French Revolution, was to come out for the first time with a plan, and this was before, it was all set up beforehand, they came up with a plan to reduce the population of France. Now, that gives you a clue who really ran the show. What were, was it the bankers? Was it the big international bankers of the day who were the only ones skilled in economics? Lives and population versus um, boundaries, areas farming and so on. And they did kill off way more peasantry than they were killed off with the guillotine in the capitals. They had an ideal population for each province already worked out. Because after all, if part, see from a banker's point of view, and that's the key, it's how you read something. From a banker's point of view, how do you eliminate poverty? Well, you eliminate the poor, especially the poor who you, you, after observing them, you've decided they have no chance of ever becoming anything else except staying poor. You eliminate them. And this is the same agenda that's gone on since the French Revolution, at least, 
up to the present stage. We see it in the writings of, of Malthus, Thomas Malthus, as well. And the United Nations, with its, its tremendous urge to have everyone inoculated across the planet, and, and strangely enough, AIDS and everything else breaks out in the trail of these inoculations, and, and people can't put two and two together, even though the United Nations, with its WHO, World Health Organization, or Doctor Who, as I prefer to call it, uh, also has a Department of Population Management and Control. Well, what do you think that means? They don't sit and make wish lists, the United Nations. They know their goals are always long term, but they go at them steadily. No one elects United Nations, the people in the United Nations. Most people in the world will never meet anybody except maybe in the lower orders who's, who's handing out something or giving them inoculations. But you'll never meet anybody with the suit and ties that work in the United Nations because those people are especially reared for their positions. They're the grandsons and granddaughters of the League of Nations. And they go to special schools apart from the public because you don't want contaminated with common thoughts when you have such a great duty to perform for humankind. This is the real world we are living in. Most of it, a lot of it, is a horror show. For those who are on the path of waking up, it's often too much for them. They fall into the to the the various programs which terrify them, terrorize them on a daily basis, thinking the world's going to end any minute. And they get suckered for every imaginable thing out there to buy and purchase to prevent all and every catastrophe that could ever happen except a, a, real, a real natural one. And it's hard with science at play today to really know what's natural and what isn't. Rothschild was once asked, after he took over the Bank of England, after the Napoleonic War, he was asked, when do you really make money? When do you make the biggest money? And he said, when blood is flowing in the streets. That's when desperation, you see, drives people to part with everything in the very faint hope of surviving, of security, living, living longer, a day, two days, weeks, whatever. That's when you're gouged for everything. And with the Soviet system, which came later, the big test bed in a more modern era, if someone committed a specific crime in Russia, they punished the whole population, they simply passed a law, so no one could ever do that again. We see it here in the West with the non-governmental organizations affiliated with the United Nations and funded by the big foundations. Anything but grassroots like Mothers Against Drunk Driving who opened up chapters all over the place. And if you want to look in to whoever opened up the local city chapter, uh, see what reward these people were given for pushing and pushing to get these things established as though they're part of our culture now. 
and the police work hand in glove with their demands because the police are only too happy to grant demands for more totalitarian structures around society. It came out on the CBC television only a few days ago from a, a, a member of MADD, MAD, or damn backwards, that uh, only about nine cents of the dollar went to any charity that was donated to them. But the one who opened up the chapter for Toronto, I remember, Ontario, was eventually rewarded by getting a seat given to her on the chair of the, the director's board of the liquor licensing organization, the government body. Not bad, eh? Little payoffs. And you'll find that behind all NGOs and charity-driven groups, which eventually have power over your life. It's always under the guise of charity that Freemasonry in all of its names works. It's hard to attack a charity, but when the charities start working hand in glove with police and politicians, they have laws changed to restrict your rights, so every potential driver is treated as a potential criminal. That's the Soviet system you're now living in. And if no one wants to mention Soviet system or communism, use your own brain. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, you see it's a duck. It's just that the terms are not used, so it doesn't click for most people who think they're just evolving daily in this great, fantastic world of ours. The dialectical process has been used down through the ages right up to the present day. In every conflict, every part of every conflict has its dialectical process. We'll find this, for instance, if you look back at the, the American War of Independence, where authors in Britain, especially Burke, wrote books which appear to be in support and for the initial rebellion. And yet Burke himself admits that he believed completely in tradition and he was completely against the individual ever altering society. He didn't believe that that was a right. He believed it was only for those at the top, those who had proven their worth in governmental agencies or governments themselves to steer the course of society. And we see the same process used today on the television where after a politician speaks, after he's, he's made his big speech, and it, and it seemed rather clear at the time, they bring on at least two experts who give you two different completely interpreta interpretations of what you've just heard yourself until you watch the whole hour show uh, they're so far off base you don't know if you're in, uh, out meeting Pluto which is now declassified as a planet by the experts or, or where you are this technique is used over and over again however people generally will pick one or the other and that becomes their opinion on any topic. But it was the same in all, all ages. It always gave a pro and against 
main speaker or author. Usually, used to be just authors that were risen to the top. And for those who think we're stumbling and bumbling along through space, just figuring things out as we go, well, stay where you are, just don't come near me. The world is planned this way. And at the moment, everyone is pointing fingers at everybody else. And once again, just like the, the, the post-political speech uh, talkers who analyze everything, people fall into camps. They decide which one they want to pick because it's, it's, they're biased one way or another towards what they'd like to believe was the cause of it all. But these human herds of peoples, these creeds of peoples, are given their leading families. And that's whom they follow. In a commercialized system of economics, where we worship the rich, the wealthy, the famous, and the old families who are always rich, wealthy, and famous, we follow them, and that's the big mistake. Because they'll never figure it out as long as they do this. And that goes for everybody, Protestant, Catholic, Hindu, Jew, whatever. The big families at the top, although they may go through all of the, the rigmarole and, and traditions that you're, you're taught and rituals and so on, and say all the right things, don't belong to you at all. They only intermarry amongst themselves. They are separate people. And there's no doubt that this, this system came down eventually to Babylon and eventually through the rest of the world since then always hiding behind peoples always having the, the, the lessers follow them and, and point fingers at others that's how you, you keep control is through chaos order out of chaos you create the chaos and you make sure that every side and I found this long ago if you read the books put out by every faction blaming another faction and then you read the other factions' books, they're all right. They're, 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 each one is correct. The facts are there. So-and-so did say this. So-and-so did want to do that against the other group. And vice versa. You find they're all correct. But how can they all be correct? And you realize, wait a minute, all sides are given their leaders. That's why they're all correct. That's why all literature is verifiable, especially the ones that point fingers at others. They're all correct. All sides. Pike said it himself, Albert Pike, whenever the need for a hero arises amongst the people, we shall supply him. Now that meant all sides. Every side is given its leaders. Who say all the right things and do all the right things, but always lead you into further chaos. We never, we, we never conquer and get beyond that which we think is our mortal enemy. It never happens. And this will never happen either as long as people wish to worship other people. There's an amazing thing within humanity where they want to worship someone who walks the planet. Physically. Who is ultimately superior. They want 
the the beast, you might say. That's why Revelations is there. Revelations in the New Testament of the Christian book is written in the mystery language with an exoteric shell for the masses to follow and argue about. That's why there's so many factions saying, no, it means this, no, I have the answer, but they don't know. It's, the, it's an esoteric writing coded within there. And it's to do with time, primarily. And there's numbers in there, and letters, and symbology. What was before Babylon? We know what was before Babylon, at least a little bit. We know we had, we had uh, long before that, we had Sumer. And one of the main symbols of Sumer even was the lion, king of the jungle. The jungle is the same thing. Below the pyramid on the dollar bill is the weeds. That's the wasteland. That's the jungle, wasteland. The lion's always at the top. The lion is a top predator. What was it Pike said? We make no excuse for nature. In other words, they don't complain about the natural thing to do according to what their eyes see. And what their eyes see is that the predators have the right to dominate the lesser. And you don't cry about it. That's the natural way according to them. We know before Sumer, which is just summer, by the way, before Sumer, you had the Harappian civilization all, all the way across the Middle East and into India. And India will surprise people eventually because that which is behind a lot of it is based in India. At least it definitely originated there of this whole system. When you want culprits, you must look at the least likely place. The most obvious is meant to be obvious. We've watched ourselves be inoculated. We've watched our tonsils and adenoids whipped out as a matter of course, and we were told that there were vestiges of when we were primitive and we were apes. We don't need them anymore. All to do with a theory, a guess put out by Charles, Galton, Charles Darwin, the Freemason, whose grandfather and father had put out books themselves on the same subject. But it was only spread amongst Freemasons at the time. They made Darwin go public with their religion. And when they whipped out your tonsils and adenoids, they just whipped out part of your, your defense mechanism for your body. Because they also create white blood cells to kill off infections. Why would they take a part of your immune system? Well, it's because they want you to die off, you see. That's why you whip it out. That's why. And they convinced whole populations this was natural and normal. And mums took their little sons and daughters to hospitals to have it done. Now you're down with different diseases when you get a bit older. And they can't figure out what's wrong with you, so better take more inoculations. Now they push us towards... After the drug craze of the 60s, which was the lead-up towards altered states, 
the big altered states bit. AS means what? Uh -huh. Altered states. Uh, so the next step is electronic or electronically created altered states. And many will go for it because they're so, as Aldo Huxley said, unhappy with their lives. They have no peace. And they have no peace, you see, as Huxley knew, because being one of the elite vid made a system which gives you no peace. In fact, the very system revolves around consuming. And every ad tells you you're not happy. Here's what's going to make you happy. Clean your teeth with this and you'll be smiling forever. You're kept in a situation of uncertainty in transient times where the whole culture has been pulled away from under your feet deliberately. And again, it's no big surprise for those who studied it and, and watched each part coming. So of course there are, there are people are unhappy. There is no security in anything at all. You're kept off guard or on guard against everything. You're trained to, to run out of school and just chase up to the top of the pyramid and you wonder why you eventually can't get there and you're out of breath and you become terrified because you're not going to make it and there's these young guys coming along that's going to stab you in the back to get up there. Etc, etc, etc. This is the system. So electronic alteration of your moods, electronic experiences of virtual reality, virtue Freemason, remember, virtue al reality, al, Allah. Even what I've just said has so much coding in it, I won't go into it right now. But that's what we're living through. You won't have a real reality, you have your virtual reality. Planned by programmers. And you can go your whole life, maybe mucking out a buyer. A buyer is a sort of, it's a mess that certain animals leave behind. But you'd never know it because you could be James Bond. Uh, going up up to the some lab in the sky to rescue the world or something and live your whole life in a fantasy programmed and written directed by others and when you think about the time people spend in front of television and with the consumption of movies they're almost at that stage already they, they'd want the escape you see pure escapism as pressure mounts and terror mounts, and terror is all coming from government agencies with hype, 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 everything's becoming terrorism now it's all around you you might even be one yourself and didn't, don't know it yet you might need your child to point it out after they've told the local police or the SWAT team so eventually the only peace of mind will be the authorised peace of mind where you'll have no mind at all you'll have a scripted fantasy and that's only for another generation and when they're gone there'll be the next step the mathematical sequence as I say they can't miss a step of purpose created humanoid types 
for specific uh, functions like Plato talked about. I'll let the coincidence theorists go back to their coincidences and believe we're just stumbling through space, grasping and trying and trying something else. But for those who are in the know, stick around because we have much, much further to go. Not everyone can handle the bad news. And that's why you must really, really suss out a person before you, you give them information or particular information. You can only give them what they can handle at the time. And even then only if they're going to do something with it. It doesn't matter if you can't get the message across to the masses. It's never been a war of the masses against a few. This is, in a sense, a war of those who are aware, always, against the few who have the power to do. The masses simply go along with whoever comes out on top. Some people are born with a function here. Others have to find it. And people are, the right people are, finding their function, their purpose. Purpose is essential for life. And there's no more ultimate purpose than the one, this journey we're on right now. All the best from me. Good night, and may your God go with you. Oh, yeah.